Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. We are going to be, we're going to be studying again in the book of Habakkuk. So uh, I want you to, if you have a, a Bible that you open in front of you, you feel free to do that. Um, if you're not sure where Habakkuk is, turn to the very front of your Bible. There's a table of contents there in the front, and I'm not kidding about this. Look at the page number and then turn it. If you've got a Bible like mine, it's 785. The rest of you, I don't know. Um, if you're used to the Bible app, please feel free to open the app and find our live event. And there's scriptures and sermon notes and all of that there as well. If you need a Bible that you can open and put in your lap, there's one in the back of the, uh, of the room there on the sides of the tech booth, okay? And so we uh, are working through um, a couple of things here. One, um, well, let me just give you a kind of a looking out into the future. I don't know what God's doing, but um, I kind of have some senses. Like Habakkuk uh, is the study that we're in now. We're going to study another prophet uh, next, Amos. Okay, good. I'm glad that everybody's fired up about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Amos, Amos will get after you now. You better be ready. Uh, and then uh, James in the fall. So we've got three pretty substantial things. I think God's um, readying us uh, for something. This is, we planned this out a long time ago, and this is what, man, it just seems like God's readying us for something. So excited about these days. We start with Habakkuk, though, and I think the, um, I think the uh, order is important. Because I think some of the things maybe that God wants to do later in the year is going to be based on our experience here uh, in this text. We've asked the question, how do I do this business of talking to God when he's not doing what I want? Did anybody have anything like that happen this week? Anybody? I did. In fact, I still have stuff going on in my world, in my life, in my family, where I'm asking God for some things. And to date, I mean, like as of uh, 1126 right here, he has not answered. And so uh, I want to keep talking to God even when he's not doing what I want. We said last week, this is not a commendable path, but it is a path that you could take. The, the non-commendable path goes something like this. Because you're not doing what I want, God, I'm backing up. But the deal is, is that God is not our puppet, that we jerk his chain and he does exactly what we want. God is God and we're on the other end of this. We are in the not God category. And therefore, um, what he is doing by giving us the book of Habakkuk and many other places in the Bible, he's inviting us um, to intimacy with himself. And so last week, um, we started with kind of the big message that we walked out of last week with was that we can pray honestly. And because we pray honestly, that leads us into intimacy. God is not put off by our honesty with him. He is not surprised by our honesty with him. He is, he is not scared of the strength of the emotions that come as we are honest with him. We don't show up to God and go, God, uh, here's what I got. And he goes, my goodness. I wish I would have known that you felt that way. He is not shocked by any of this and he's not put off. In fact, that is the doorway. It is the um, precedent that allows us to step into greater intimacy with God. The more honest we are with him, the more intimate we can uh, be with him. We have to be ready for him to speak back to us. This is what he did in, ch in the first part of chapter one. And then today I want to walk uh, through this particular statement that our confession is we pray honestly, that's last week, we pray confessionally, meaning we align ourselves with what God says to be true. We are saying the same thing as God. Confession breeds faith. That's the message of today. Like that's the one phrase I want you to walk out of here with. Confession breeds faith. And so let's, uh, let's get going here. 
Um, just as a moment of historical setting, one more time, Habakkuk is, is um, he's in the 600s BC, and there's uh, maybe kind of three levels of thinking about this. The international scene is pretty chaotic. Uh, the national scene is decline. And then the, his own personal scene, he's trying to wrestle with how he not only interprets things that are going on in the world, but stuff in his own life. I'll just give you a hint one more time. It ends with this beautiful expression of hope. If you walk out of this and think, dude, Habakkuk, man, that guy's a Debbie Downer guy. This is not that. He is very honest with God. He's very forthright with God. And he, he, he does some business with God. And it ends with a profound expression of hope. Um, but it, 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 the process leads him through honesty and this week confession. And that's what breeds faith. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them, the them there, the Babylonians. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Okay, we're going to start there just with those couple of verses, and then we're going to keep going. We've got a big chunk um, to handle today. But let, let's start here. What do we do when we step into the presence of God and we pray, and we pray confessionally? What is one thing that we can, if we're going to breed faith in our own lives, in the lives of those around us, we're honest with God, intimacy results, we're confessing, uh, we're, we're praying confessionally, and, and faith will come. What do we, where do we start? Here's, here's where we start. We confess what we know to be true. Confess what you know to be true. How many of you know some things that are true about God? How many of you know some things that are true about God? Everybody in here. How many of you have moments where you're like, are you sure about this? This is that moment where you align your heart with the truth. The circumstances, the problems, the challenges, the relationships, the stuff, the international stuff, the national stuff, the personal stuff, whatever level you're kind of struggling with. When you align yourself with the confession of what you know to be true about God, that stuff then gains, uh, uh, well, what, what it breeds is a faith for whatever situation you're facing. Let's go back to verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? Here's what Habakkuk knows to be true. I want to commend these things to you. Number one, that God is eternal. God is eternal. What that means for us, church family, is that there are moments when he's working on a slightly different time scale than you and me. Nobody said amen. That's because we don't like that part. In the day of, uh, you know, same-day delivery and microwaves, waiting a year seems pretty stupid, yeah? I mean, that's dumb. I don't want to wait. Waiting five years. Waiting a lifetime. But a hundred years from now, it'll matter that we waited. God is eternal. And what that brings for you and for me is perspective. Like, if, if you want to... Uh, um, associate a word with that attribute of God. If God is eternal, then it is bringing perspective to you and to me. God, I s you see things differently than me. I'll figure it out. I I'll align my heart with your eternality, with your eternal nature. Uh, are you not from everlasting? Oh, Lord. You see that next phrase? Oh, Lord. 
Uh, do, you, do you see in the text there that it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? Um, that is the Old Testament covenant name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, depending upon how you grew up or if you grew up at all around church. The, this would be the covenant name of God. It is the, the one that he speaks to Moses at the burning bush and says, I am who I am. What that, tell, what that is telling us is God is self-existent. There is not a circumstance that we are going to talk to him about that somehow defines him. He is the one who defines everything that's going on in the world. There's not a situation or a feeling, an emotion, a thought that is going to define God. He is the one who exists outside of all of that. And what that brings for you and for me, um, <clears throat> excuse me, what that brings for you and for me is a kind of humility that says, God, I, you're eternal. That's important. I can have some perspective here. You are self-existent. You do not depend on anyone, certainly not me and my opinion of you or this or that or the other. You are self-existent and therefore I'm going to humble myself to go, you're God and I'm not. I'm putting you in the category of God. I'm putting me in the category of not God. Self-existent. Are you not from everlasting? Oh, Lord, my God. The word they use there is related to God's rule, his control, his sovereignty. Oh, Lord, my God. God is sovereign, meaning he's the one who is in control. Church family, that is such a bedrock for who we are that we will bless you um, on the way out here in just a few minutes with this confession that we should go like Jesus reigns over in our church family. That's what we say. We remind ourselves, we commission ourselves out of here to say Jesus reigns over everything. Everything, not most things. Not the personal things. Not the fun things. Not the really bad stuff and we'll handle the fun stuff. He reigns over everything. This is God. In Psalm 115 verse 3, it says God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Nobody tells God what to do. He does whatever he pleases. He is sovereign. And church family, that if, if the eternal nature of God provokes a perspective and the self-existent nature of God provokes humility in us, this right here, this provokes surrender. When Frank said a while ago, let's open our hands, this is what we're talking about. I'm surrendered to you. And lastly, oh Lord, are you, uh, are you not from everlasting? Oh Lord, my God, my holy one, my holy one. He is thoroughly different and unbelievably pure. And because of that, it evokes our awe, our wonder. It captures not just our allegiance, but also our affections to say, God, man, I see you here and you are so different than anything else that's in this world or that we could um, identify. You are very different. You're pure. You are holy. Okay, this is where we are. We start with a confession. You're going to pray to God. Going to be honest with God. That was last week. Honest with God. It'll bring intimacy. We're going to um, confess some things to God and it'll breed faith. One of the places that faith grows is in our confession of who he is. He's eternal. He's self-existent. He's sovereign. He's holy. Let's start there. But also keep going and go ahead and confess his will. Everything that you know about it. God, we, we know you got a plan. Here's what I know to be true about your plan. Look at the end of verse 12. We shall not die. I mean, that's pretty good, right? That, that is a statement of faith that is breeding faith. God, you're in control. You're awesome. You are sovereign. You are um, having an eternal perspective on life. You are self-existent. Nobody is going to make you do what you don't need, uh, what doesn't need to be done. We shall not die. Why? Because we're so faithful to you, God, that surely you won't let bad stuff happen. Is that why? Goodness, no. 
Remember, he's sending the Babylonians to punish Judah for their sin. It's not because of our faithfulness that we shall not die. It's because of his faithfulness that we shall not die. What we are confessing is, God, you have always held out a people for your own possession that says, man, it may go sideways, it may be bad, things may go crazy, but, honest, but, but, but in the end, even though I'm feeling honestly as if this thing is going to overwhelm me, the waves are going to come and drown me, I'm going to die under the weight of this, we shall not die because you are so faithful. You confess what you know to be true about what he's doing. And then lastly, uh, on this particular part, look at the last part of verse 12. Oh Lord, you have ordained them, again the Babylonians, as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Now, you shall not die. Everybody's down for that, right? Yes. Uh, You've ordained the Babylonians as a judgment. Oh no. No, we we like the part about um, you will have life. What we don't like the part is uh, uh, if whoever loses his life, they'll find it. <laughs> whoever uh, forsakes his life, they're, they're the ones who get to actually keep it. You want to be a follower of mine? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow. We like the follow part. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. We're not so sure about. But all of that combined, all of that is together what we know to be true of what God wants to do in the world. Habakkuk is here before God and he's confessing. God we're not going to die. You're too faithful for that. And it looks like it's pretty rough sledding here. It's, it's going, to be, going to be some bad stuff up ahead, as best we can tell. You've ordained them for a judgment. So confess what you know to be true about God. Confess what you know to be true about his will. And then confess what you don't know to be true. I want to say this. We pointed at this last week. I want to say it again. What you find here with these verses we're going to read momentarily. Habakkuk is not going before the throne of God to throw a fit. He's not going to take his little pacifier out and throw it down. He is not a mad toddler. He is respectful. He is thoughtful. He is poetic even in how he asks. And he is theologically accurate in what he's about to say. So if you think, I'm going to go complain before God, like you would walk up to the counter at Taco Bell or somewhere and give a complaint, hey, my burrito's cold. This is not that. This is stepping into the throne room of the king of the universe and acting accordingly. Confess what you don't know. Here's here's how he did it, verse 13. You who are purer eyes, who are of purer eyes than to see evil. Remember, he's holy. And you cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Here's where he starts. God, please help me understand because it looks like your inactivity doesn't align with your holiness. It seems like there's some crazy stuff going on and you're not doing a dang thing about it. It's not an accusation, God. I'm seriously, genuinely, legitimately asking for some understanding. You can't look at evil you don't, you, don't, you don't tolerate this kind of stuff. Why are you sitting on the side? It seems like, God, you're sitting on the sidelines. Okay, just pause here. That seemed like it landed here. Like For some of us, maybe, we look and we go, God, there's some, something out there that you normally don't tolerate. I'm not real sure why it's still in existence. 
Verse 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. So he's, he, uh, Habakkuk is personifying Babylon as a fisherman. Okay? The Babylonian fisherman. Brings them all up like a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. So back just for a moment, go back to Genesis chapter 1. God makes the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the things that live on the earth. And then he makes humanity. And what does he say to humanity? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, take dominion over it. So who's supposed to be in charge of the place? Humanity is. But he's saying here, look at verse 14, you make mankind, that's us, like the fish of the sea and like crawling things. So the, the, the order has been inverted. There's chaos here. There's a, a degradation, a denigration of our place and your purpose. And here's what, uh, how we said it on the notes here. Denigration, the, the, the thing that is happening here does not align with your purpose. You made us to rule. You made us your people. You made us to be a blessing to the nations. And what I got here is I feel like I'm getting pulled out of the water by hooks and nets. And the nation, these people that you say are your people are getting dragged out. By the Babylonian fisherman guy. This seems like out of step with how you ordered things. The chaos, God, seems to be winning. Verse 16. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly, mercilessly killing nations forever? Um, what I would say, there's an idolatry, right? The, the Babylonian fisherman brings the net out, all the fish, and then he's like, hey, good job, net. And he bows down and worships the net. This is the picture Habakkuk is painting. And the violence that goes along with that. In Habakkuk's mind, the violence and the, the idolatry are like one and the same thing. Idolatry and violence, those, that does not align uh, with your justice. That's his complaint to God. God, there is justice that you normally do on the earth. And, and the kind of personified Babylonian fisherman guy, he seems like he's getting away with both of them. That, that didn't work. I don't get it. Confess what you know. God, this is who you are. Confess what you know to be true about his will. I think this is what you're doing as best I can tell. Confess what you don't know. There, I got, God, just help me understand. And then, once you say all of that, what do you do? What do you do? Chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. So he's going up on the wall. That's what he's doing. Going up on the city wall. For what reason? To look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. I'm standing up here, God, and I'm looking for any sort of news, anything. Did you hear me? Are you answering? Is there a little dust cloud forming on the horizon? Somebody's running to tell me what is going to go on because it looks like you're doing nothing. It looks like things are out of whack and chaos is winning. It looks like there is this, this, um, this dual-pronged um, just terror of idolatry and injustice and none of this aligns with anything none of this aligns with anything so i'm going to stand here and i'm going to wait and i'm going to wait patiently and i'm going to watch what does habakkuk do as after he confesses what does he do he positions himself and then he waits patiently 
He positions himself. And he waits patiently. Everybody loves this part, right? Hey, God, thanks for hearing me out. I'm going to stand right here until you're ready to answer. Whenever you're ready. Hello? Nobody loves this part. The other night, uh, Thursday night, as a matter of fact, uh, my phone rings. It's my 17-year-old. He goes, hey, Dad, what you doing? I'm doing dad things. What are you asking? You want to come play pickleball? Little neighborhood right next to ours? Pickleball, anybody? Adult ping pong? I mean, that's, that's really what it is. It's awesome. So fun. Um, you want to come play the, the little neighborhood right next to ours? They've got like a whole pickleball thing happening. Like they've got lines painted on the tennis courts and they, certain nights they come out and everybody has nets. It's fun. I had a great time. Um, so I'm like, yeah, I'll come over. So we, we go over and uh, uh, I don't know, four years ago, maybe I just hard to remember how long ago we bought some paddles on Amazon for 10 bucks. They're the old wooden kind. I mean, like old school paddle pickleball paddle. And so uh, I, I rolled out there with one of these wooden paddles, right? And um, uh, the folks that we're playing against, he's like, yeah, man, how much you spent on that paddle? I'm like, uh, well, I was 10 bucks for the pair. He's like, I spent 70 just on this one. Well, aren't you special? <laughs> you want to buy one? No, I'm just kidding. So, so here's the deal on that. Uh, the, the wooden paddles, I mean, they're pretty slick. Like, you, you have to catch it in the middle. Like, I mean, there's a sweet spot about the size of the bowl. You've got to catch it in the middle. And if you don't, it will not rebound like you think it will. Or, like, it will ri- just run right up the paddle and put spin on it. And it won't go hardly anywhere because the, the face of the paddle is, is pretty slick, Right? Like one of the advancements in technology of pickleball life is that, it, that there's some grit on these $70 paddles that when you hit the ball, it not only has like fancy schmancy core stuff happening and not just wood, but like there, there's a surface contact that happens that causes the ball to go in the way that you want it to with the spin that you, excuse me, that you want it to. So Game number one, I'm out there, and we're kind of hanging in there, getting warmed up, all this kind of stuff. And sure enough, man, you you miss a couple there, and you're like, stupid, wooden paddle, $5, Amazon. You kind of go through the thing, right? And you got, we did end up winning two games to one, my guy over there. So I just want you to know, victorious, even with the $5 wooden paddle, okay? I just I need to put that bow on the end of that story because somebody asked me after. So I just want you to know we, we won. It's good. Two games to one. Okay, so we got there. That's what I'm saying here. But, but I'm telling you, like, it would be so much better if there was grit already on the paddle. Positioning yourself to wait patiently is what adds grit to my soul and yours. So that when the thing comes along, it doesn't hit off center. It doesn't go spinning wildly and it doesn't just kind of slide off. Like there's grip, there's touch, there's rebound, there's force applied also. And nobody likes the positioning yourself and waiting patiently part, but it's that that adds grit. It adds texture to our souls so that when these things do come, we are able to respond and help it go the way that it needs to go. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5. Nobody loves this part. We should rejoice in our tribulations. 
Why? Because tribulations bring about perseverance. That's the very first thing. We love the, and hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God, like we love getting to that part right there. But he, you forget, it's perseverance that brings proven character and proven character that brings hope. It all starts with the perseverance part. There has to be a kind of texture, if you will, added to our souls when we position ourselves and wait patiently. When we do, God is faithful to respond. Here's what he says. Verse 2. Here's God's reply. The Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Here's God's... Here's number one. Write it down is what he says. Write this down because I'm going to do something and you're going to remember that I said this. I'm going to do something and you're going to remember that this is what I promised was going to happen. Yeah, it may take a little bit. Yeah, some wheels may turn. Yeah, some time may pass. Decades may pass, by the way. But listen, write it down so that you'll remember. Just as a practical thing, can I just encourage you with something pastorally here? Um, I encourage you to read your Bible with a pen in hand so that when God speaks to you or says something to you or does something in your life through a particular passage or verse, you can write out there, hey, here's today's date. Here's what God said. And then the next time you're reading that, what do you find? Oh, I remember when he did that. Thank you, God, for being faithful to that. Write it down. Secondly, uh, verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It's, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not Delay. So I'm at work even when you can't see it. That's what he says to Habakkuk. I know you don't understand all the stuff that's going on, Habakkuk, but I'm at work even when you can't see it. And the best thing that you could do, Habakkuk, is live by faith. Verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, talking about the unrighteous one, but, his, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Faith brings life and righteousness to you and to me. This is why this verse gets quoted all throughout the New Testament. Faith, when we respond in faith to God, it brings life and righteousness. There is another way, verse 5, moreover, wine is a traitor. The Babylonians were known for their drunkenness and parties. An arrogant man who's never rest, greed is as wide as shield. So we've got drunkenness and greed. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations, collects uh, himself for all nations. it collects as his own all peoples. There's greed and false pride and all sorts of stuff. So here's God's reply. Write this down. I'm at work even though you can't see it. You need to live by faith. Confession breeds faith. When you and I set ourselves in alignment with who God is, with what he says, with what we know to be true, it breeds faith. Now, some people really have a problem here, and this is not a tangential thing. Because the faith that Habakkuk was, I mean, the faith that God called for in Habakkuk was faith that God was going to do right by his people. Some people kind of get spun up here because they're like, hey, man, the Babylonians, they're not nice people. Why is God using them? Well, God's God. He can do what he wants to do, right? Because he's in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. But um, maybe even more than that, like, don't think that the the Babylonians and their own wickedness are going to get away scot-free on this thing. God gives Habakkuk a gift here. 
And this is what's going to lead us to communion. And I want you to know this is where it's, this is not tangential. This is going to lead us into our time of celebrating communion. Because God replies to Habakkuk and says, hey, here's faith right here. Live by faith. Live by faith in what? That I'm going to take care of things and I'm going to do right by you. And I'm going to do right um, by these wicked Babylonians. He pronounces woe to the Babylonians. Not W-O-A-H. Whoa, whoa, hey, whoa, horsey. Whoa. Not that. W-O-E, which is the, an invocation of a curse almost. Like, whoa, this is bad. W- w- woe to you. Let, let's just run these down. There, there's five of them. You see it. It's up there. It says five of them. Uh, I'll, I'll just try to highlight a couple things here. Shall not all these take up their taunt, verse 6, against them, scoffing riddles, for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? He loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly rise? And those awake who will make you tremble, uh, then you will be spoiled uh, for them. You plunder people. That's what he's saying. Number one, woe. You plunder people and you will be plundered. Verse nine, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You've forfeited your life. The stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. The injustice, woe to you Babylonians, because the injustice that you do will end up bringing shame to you so much so that even you, the stones of your house are going to be like, oh, no, 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 no. Woe to the Babylonians. Third woe. Uh, look, look at verse 12. Woe who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not, is it not from the Lord that people's labor merely for the fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Woe to you because you're building on bloodshed and, and that empire that you're building, it will prove vain. The, it will show the vanity of the empire that you're building. Verse 15, woe to him who makes his neighbors drunk and they, again, they were known for this. The, the things that they did when they made their, their, their captives get drunk, that will come back onto them. It will bring shame back on them. And in verse 18, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For, it is, for its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold It's overlaid with gold and silver. There's no breath at all in it. But the Lord's in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. Keep silence before him. Woe to you for your idolatry. I mean, you're you're talking to a stick. Hey, stick, let's do something. Can you help us? Make it rain, stick, make it rain. Oh, you need some gold? Let's cover you in gold. Make it rain now. You got gold. That sounds terrible, terribly dumb, doesn't it? But this is idolatry. And, and me speaking to the stick, God says, no, 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 no. The, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth keep quiet. I'm the one who's talking here. Woe to the Babylonians. So it, it prompts a question and then a, a, a comment. Here's the question. Do you have an understanding of God who can say woe? Who can look at evil and injustice and wickedness in the world and go, no. 
Some people don't. The reason I ask that question is some people don't. My God is a God of love. And I think love every so often says, woe to that. Woe to that injustice. Woe to that wickedness. Woe to that pattern. Woe to that addiction. Whatever it may be. I think love actually says that. Well, I mean, Jesus came and he, listen, Jesus, while on the earth, looked at people, religious and otherwise, in Matthew chapter 23, uh, Luke chapter 6, and said crazy stuff like, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You know what you're like? You're like a cemetery that's painted up all nice. You got a nice paint job. Inside, it's all death. Jesus said that. So if you think that the Savior of the world isn't above speaking woe, man, you need to know that he already did. Do you have an understanding of God who can say woe to the injustice and wickedness and evil that's in the world? I read this as a, uh, in a commentary this week, did some noodling on it. This is how it came out. Here it goes. G- God gives woe to his people. He speaks it about the Babylonians, but he gives woe to his people. Why? So that they can speak against the source of their suffering and continue or sustain hope in them, in God. God wants us to continue to have hope in us. And so he gives us woe. Woe to the Babylonians for this. Woe to the Babylonians for that. He gives us these things to say, this is not right. It's not how I designed it. Woe to cancer. Woe to brokenness in this relationship. Woe to the injustice of that particular system or that moment. Woe to the immorality that I see decaying someone's life. Woe to those things. Church family, he gives us those things so that we can speak against the source of that suffering and then have a place where we can stand and say, because I can say woe to that, and I I don't go, well, I guess that's just the way the world is supposed to be. No, no, it's not. That's why we say woe. We stand in a place and we continue to hope. There's hope in us, in God, because he gives us a word like woe. And I said that's not a side thing here. God doesn't let injustice and wickedness stand. God gave us woe to speak against the source of our suffering and to continue to, to sustain hope in us, in God. Listen, this is exactly what Jesus did. When he went to the cross, he said woe to sin, woe to death. Woe to the shame and the brokenness of our world. Woe to those things. Woe to sin. You do not have the final word over their lives anymore. Woe to death. It may be a physical transition, but no longer will they be separated from the one who has given them life. Woe to shame. I have paid for not most of it, but all of it. And so they don't have to carry it anymore. Woe to those things. This is what Jesus has done. And church family, communion is about reminding ourselves that Jesus has spoken woe to those. So I'm going to invite you to prepare yourself for communion. We're coming to a time where we will remind ourselves of what he has done. And out of his incredible love for us, he said woe to sin, woe to shame, 
Woe to death. Woe to brokenness. Woe to those things. So if you need to close up your Bible or your notebook, whatever you got there, put your phone down, whatever you... Just take a moment and ready yourself to remember what God has said and what He has done on your behalf. As you're closing up, I'm going to ask five of our deacons. I don't, any five will be great. I just, five of our deacons to come serve the elements. Let's, let's ready ourselves to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. On the night before he went to the cross, the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. Eat this in remembrance of me. Woe to brokenness. Woe to addiction and dysfunction. Woe to all the chaos that results in your own life and in your relationships and in the world. Woe to that. Woe to that. And then he took a cup. He passed it around. This is the blood of the new covenant. No longer do you have to relate to God on the basis of what you can do on your own. You get to relate to God on the basis of what Jesus has done. Woe to sin and separation. Woe to a kind of religious approach to life that tries to make you yourself. I'm responsible for making myself right with God. Woe to that. Woe to dead religion and appearances. He's offering something far different, far better, far greater. For those who live by faith in him, experience life and righteousness. So let's pray together and then we'll celebrate communion. I thank you, Father, that these are realities that we can, we can embrace by faith. And thank you, God, that there are tangible reminders. We're going to take them in our hands. Tangible reminders of what you have done for us. May it be fresh for us. And Jesus, may it honor you. And we pray in your name. Amen and amen.